This week we are uh, wrapping up a series that I think has been a great one. We've called it Rhythm. How many of you have been here for the Rhythm series? Enjoyed it? Did you like it? Um, I've loved it. It's been a good one uh, for us and uh, very convicting and challenging and the, and the Lord has been faithful. Uh, and so uh, the premise is that God has created the universe uh, in your life to work in a certain way, uh, in a certain rhythm, and that we are to get back to that rhythm, that God has broadcast this in his word. He has not been silent about the rhythm that he's created your life to work best in. And, and we're born in sin, in this arrhythmia, right, away from God's rhythm, and, and it causes us to live life apart from God. And just like if your heart was out of rhythm, if it was beating arrhythmically, uh, then, or you went to a, a, a middle school band concert, and the saxophone player just played out of rhythm the whole time, it's painful, right? It's painful. Middle school students, get it, get it together, okay? Get it together. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Uh, but it's painful and it's empty, an empty existence, a devastating existence to live outside of God's rhythm for our lives. And so we've said in this series over and over and over uh, that the first thing we have to realize here is that uh, we can't fix this. Like if we want to fix it, the first thing we have to admit is that we can't fix it. We need Jesus. And so Jesus supernaturally came into human history and he, you know, Christmas, born as a baby. Easter died on the cross, rose again, and because of that, he shocked the heart of creation back into a rhythm that it was created to work in in the beginning. And now you and I, personally and individually, have the chance, the opportunity to give our lives over to Christ and have our individual hearts shocked back into rhythm, and, and we do that by giving our lives over to Jesus. And so we've been talking about some different rhythms that God has not been silent about in his word over the last few weeks, how to line ourselves up with the way God has made us to work best in some specific areas. So we've talked about devotional rhythm, we've talked about Thanksgiving rhythm, Sabbath rhythm, present rhythm. Last week we talked about marriage rhythm. If you've missed any of those, you can go to iTunes, you go on our website, get those podcasts and listen to those messages. Uh, but today I want to talk to you about about family rhythm. Everybody say family rhythm. So we're going to talk about family rhythm and parenting a, a little bit today. And so my go-to passages for how God in his infinite wisdom has ordered the home to work best are Ephesians 5 and 6 and Deuteronomy 6. So those two passages. So if you have your Bible, you can head over there. It'll be on the screen. It's in your bulletin. You can go to the YouVersion Bible app and get it there. Uh, but we're going to look at that. Today we'll focus uh, on, on Ephesians 6 of that passage, because last week we looked at what God says to husbands and wives in Ephesians 5. So we've already kind of looked at part of this passage. But before we get there, uh, I do want to look at one thing in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 8. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 8. It says, for at one time you were in darkness. Let me say that again. For at one time you were darkness. Not in darkness, but one time you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. Now look at verse 15. Skip down there. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be foolish. In other words, just because you let Jesus into your life, just because you're a Jesus follower now, a child of light, like it was talking about, just because that's the case, doesn't mean that everything is going to fall into place and you're never going to be out of rhythm with the way God has created you to work, right? To, created you to live. It doesn't mean that. You have to intentionally leave darkness, the Apostle Paul is saying, leave darkness and walk in the light. You have to intentionally walk and live as wise, not unwise, right? You have to choose that. He says, don't be foolish. 
You need to understand what God's will is and then act on it. He's saying it's foolish for you to keep living your life in this arrhythmia out of beat with the way God has created you to work. It's foolish for you to keep doing that, thinking that everything will fix itself in the end. That's not the way it works. You have to actively find God's rhythm in every area of your life. And then the Apostle Paul, he moves from Ephesians 5 that we just read into the end of Ephesians 5, and he gives instruction for husbands and wives, which we talked about last week. And then he jumps to talk to children and parents. Uh, But here's here's the point I want to start with today. Living by God's family rhythm doesn't just happen. It takes understanding and purposeful action. Living by God's family rhythm, the way he set up the family to work, it doesn't just happen. It takes understanding and purposeful act. You have to be intentional and purposeful about it. First, you got to understand. You got to go to God's word and you got to ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand what it is saying. And then you got to put it into practice, right? Purposeful, purposefully and intentionally. It doesn't just happen because you gave birth to this little person or you adopted them or, or whatever. Nobody accidentally stumbles into great godly parenting. I don't know if you were like hoping that would happen, but that's not the way it works. Like nobody's like, oh, I don't know what happened. Like yesterday, I was like, eh. But today, I'm like leading my kids to the Lord. Like I'm all about unpacking the glories of Christ to my kids. Like I don't know what happened, but I just accidentally kind of stumbled in. Nobody says that. It takes work. It takes being intentional and finding out what the will of God is for you as a parent and a leader of your family. And let me say this. It ain't easy like an easy bake oven, right? It just ain't. My parents said, all right, we'll try again. It ain't easy like an easy bake oven. And all the parents said, amen. Amen. It ain't easy. Like this thing is not easy, okay? Uh, reading books about it, talking about it, um, telling other people how to do it, that stuff is easy. Actually doing it in your life is not easy. Parenting, family rhythm, it's not easy. And listen, you might not realize this, but this whole family rhythm thing, this whole parenting thing, it affects everybody because you either had great parents or cruddy parents or average parents, right? And, and lots of you have kids in your home right now, adopted or biological, it doesn't matter. And then there are many of you who have grown kids and they've got kids or probably will have kids. And, and they're little munchkins called what? Grandkids. That was an easy one, guys. That was like super easy. So you have kids, they grow up. I'm just going to explain how this works. You have kids, they grow up. They have kids. Those kids are called grandkids. They're your kids. You guys are totally with me this morning. I love that. And so grand, that was sarcasm just then. Uh, grandkids. And if none of that is you, you've got nephews and nieces and neighbors, kids, and all of that. This family rhythm thing affects everybody. But even outside of that, I want to encourage you to do something. When you come to church, don't be focused only on what you can get out of church, but be thinking about what you can give to others from your experience at church. When you're, you're, you know, the, the scriptures we go through, the principle we go through, the teaching we go through, think about how you can Give that to others. Absolutely apply it to yourself first. But if you're always about yourself, you're missing it. Because this thing isn't supposed to end with you. It's supposed to begin with you, right? And so, like, when we were missionaries in China, I would do these uh, trainings out in rural areas of pastors who had no formal education at all. And uh, I would teach for hours on end. I would teach. I know it's hard to believe, but I would teach for hours on end. And uh, when I taught there, uh, from the beginning of my... teaching to the end, when I said amen and we're done, I never saw the Chinese people's faces. Not once. You know why? Because they had their head down, taking ridiculous notes the whole time I was speaking to them. They never looked up. They just took page after page after page of notes. You guys are doing really good at this. You just take page after... That was sarcasm again because nobody's taking notes. (laughs) 
You just take page after, these guys would take page after page after page because they were going, I'll apply this to me, absolutely. I want this for me, but I also want it for my family. I want to take it back to my village. I want to teach it at my church. You know what I mean? It's a different thought process, right? We just come in and we're like, well, I'm just here to receive, give, come on. Feed me, pastor, feed me, right? Like we do this whole like, I believe in the church because I'm not being fed, I don't feel like I'm being fed. We're not a, what are you, a toddler? Like, I'm not here to feed you. Like, you feed yourself, right? And then you're supposed to take it to other people. And so I just want to encourage you, even if you're thinking, like, parenting, whatever, doesn't affect me. Marriage last week doesn't affect me. Like, you're wrong. It absolutely affects you because you are a conduit through which God speaks his gospel truth to other people, right? You're supposed to be a conduit. Me and you are supposed to be a conduit through which God speaks to other people. If it ends with you like it hits a brick wall and ends, we're failing, If you're just coming and receiving and not ever giving, then you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because disciples of Jesus Christ absolutely give the teaching God is giving them. They're a conduit through which the gospel truth of God flows. Are you with me so far this morning? So with that in mind, if you know a parent or a future parent or you've ever had a parent, this message is for you. Okay, with me? All right. So it takes understanding and purposeful action, but it's difficult. This thing is difficult. I mean, we've all got stories, right? Parenting stories. Parenting is full of ups and downs. Like one minute you think you're winning, and the next minute you think you're the worst parent ever to walk the earth, okay? It's just part of the job. And so like one minute I'm going, my three-year-old just shared something. That was amazing, right? And the next second, I'm like, my three-year-old just dropped trowel in front of everybody and relieved himself on a tree like it was no big deal. (laughs) That was that life group, not my life group, okay? Not my tree, not my house. It was awesome, okay? And it literally, there was a three-second span between each of those things. Winning, failing, okay? Just failing. And so I get that. There's the ups and downs here. Um, my, daughter, my daughter, Hannah, um, I got two daughters. My daughter, Hannah, who is almost two, we've been working uh, on her saying grace. She's almost two. We've been working on her saying a prayer for the food because, uh, you know, like to, for a trick at parties, you know, just kind of show off. And I'm a pastor, so my kids have to be able to say grace. It's a weird deal. Uh, you guys expect that. And so I, I, you know, been working on this, you know, like a parrot, like can you do this? And not a parent, a parrot. And uh, my daughter Hannah is getting pretty good at it. And she says this simple prayer like, Jesus, thank you for this food. Amen. And usually the amen is like, amen. Like I'm done. All right. So uh, she's always like, Jesus, amen. No, you got to keep going. Thank you. Amen. All right. She says, she loves that. So she's uh, got to where she could say, Jesus, thank you for this food. Amen. But a couple of weeks ago, um, and, and I was thinking like, okay, she's saying this prayer like she's going to go to heaven. This is great, right? Like, this is great. She, we're winning. She's going to go to heaven. Hannah's going to make it. And so I'm excited about that. And, and then a couple of weeks ago, um, she's talking, we're talking about prayer or Jesus or something. And she just looks up at me and Aaron and she goes, no, Jesus bad. Jesus bad. And I'm like, huh, well, that's not what I was going for. Actually, that's the opposite of what I was kind of going for here. So I start to talk to him. I'm like, no, Hannah, baby, Jesus is, Jesus is good. He loves you. Jesus is good. She's like, no, Jesus bad, okay? She wasn't having it. The whole day, she walked around screaming, Jesus bad, all day, winning, pastor family, all right? We are winning. Hannah, man, I'm not sure now. I'm not sure about that whole heaven thing. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> Capture her heart because she's, it's bad, all right? So we're winning. There's ups and downs, right? There's ups and downs in parenting in this family rhythm. And those are funny, but you've got, you've got some serious ones, right? You've got some serious ones. Like things seeming great for a while, and then your teenager just kind of running from you, running from the Lord, Um, distancing himself or herself from your family. Stories like your kids getting it, loving the Lord, loving you, and then now as adults, they've run from all that. They've run from all that. Months or years of friction between you and a child. Animosity and anger and hurt. You just don't know if it's ever going to be fixed. 
You feel like maybe you're, you're disciplining your little ones so much lately, right? Like, gosh, I just keep whipping the crud out of my kid over and over and over. And like, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to always be doing that. But you know that it's good and right and that you, you have to discipline. You have to do the timeout. You have to do all that. And so you know it's good and right. But man, in the moment, you're like, gosh, I hate this. I hate this. It's so difficult. Ups, ups and downs. This isn't easy. This whole thing ain't easy. It makes sense that it's not easy because the stakes, the stakes are so high, right? The reward's so big. You are forming, shepherding, molding human souls here. Make no mistake about it. That is what we are talking about. This is not about them being nice or good citizens or making money or having an easy 80 years on this earth and that's what you're going for. That's not what we're talking about. This is about their eternity. The stakes are huge, as big as they can possibly get. And yet my fear is that we're just kind of flying by the seat of our pants with this whole everything will work out mentality. Like we're just going to accidentally lead our kids to the Lord, loving the Lord. And we're expecting to stumble into molding this soul into one that finds the rhythm God created them to work best in, the song he created them to sing. It's difficult, but that's because it's also important. There's nothing more important. In fact, I would say this, your entire life, You will do nothing of more value than to help mold the little souls that God has given you to mold. I'm not talking about your son's little league batting average here. I'm not talking about whether he went to state, goes to state like you went to state. I'm not talking about your daughter's tennis career or even your kid's high school GPA and how they can get into college and their career choice. I'm talking about something deeper than that, bigger than even that. And you go, oh, pastor, come on. Like, I can't mold souls. Like, I can't do that. That's God's job. Like, I, I, can't, I can't make my kids love Jesus. I can't make them act right. I can't do this. You can't put that on me, Pastor. And you're right. You can't make this happen. They will have their own free will, but this is absolutely your job. God's the one who makes it happen in the end, but he's chosen to do that through you and through me parents. He's chosen to use parents to do this. Parents teach children. That's, that's the rhythm. Children grow up knowing the truth, knowing the priorities because they've been modeled for them, and they grow up, and then they have children, and they teach their children the truth, and they model the priorities for them, and then they grow up, and they live for Jesus, and generations are changed like this. The world is transformed like this. This is the rhythm. This is the rhythm. Look at uh, Deuteronomy 6 real quick. We'll come back to Ephesians in a second. Deuteronomy 6 has this great passage. It's, it's called the Shema. It's the pinnacle of Jewish faith. And, and this family rhythm shows up in it. It's verse 4 in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Skip to verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our forefathers, our fathers. Verse 24, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God, listen to this, for our good 
always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. This, this is the rhythm. You teach your kids, your family about God. Diligently, consistently, constantly. It's not a church thing. It's a family thing. If you're, if you're leaning on us, if you're expecting us as the church to parent your kids, you're off base because the, this is not a church thing. This is a family thing. Notice in Deuteronomy 6, when you do this, when do you teach your kids this stuff? It says, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, put it on your doorpost, wear it so that you don't forget, right? When you lie down, talk about it. When you rise, talk about it so that there will be questions from your son or your daughter, When they ask questions, then you can answer them by saying, God has saved us. Great question, little man. The reason we go to church, the reason we do this, the reason we have this on the wall, the reason we do a devotional every night is because God has saved us. He sent his son to die for us. And and man, there's, there's, there's something bigger to live for. There's something greater to live for than, 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 you know, whatever, than school or friends or family or career or sports or whatever else. Man, there's something bigger to live for. You unpack that for your kids. You say, there's a God in heaven who loves you and wants your joy. There's a rhythm he wants you to live by, a song that he has for you to sing. There's a heaven and a hell. There's truth and a host of lies. This is God's plan. This is God's family rhythm. Your entire life, you will, be, you will do nothing of more value than to mold the little souls you were given to mold. Ups and downs though, right? But the stakes are huge and the reward is literally world transforming. So as we try to line our family up with the rhythm God created it to function best in, we find that, that God has to be central. As we read Deuteronomy 6, we find that in a biblical family rhythm, God has to be central, right? It has to, he has to be central. Deuteronomy 6 is saying that it falls on the parents to make known the glory and the goodness and the beauty of God in their home. Here's the way I've heard it explained. It's our job to continually take everything that is good, everything that is right, everything that is lovely, and for our kids, draw a line from that over to the origin of those feelings, over to the origin of those good things, those lovely things, those beautiful things, the origin being God. It is our job to connect those dots, right? It's our job as parents to do that. So here's an example. My son loves cars, okay? He loves any kind of car. He's like addicted to anything with wheels. Like it could be construction stuff. It could be monster trucks, race cars. He's into all of that. He's four. He's all boy. He loves cars, okay? And so he loves it. So I ask him, Joshua, who made this stuff? Who made these cars? And he's like, well, I, I, the store? I don't know. Mommy? I don't know. Some, and the people did. Okay, well, people made this. You're right. But, but, but who gave them the idea? I mean, who made fast, cool, Joshua? And who made it awesome that this dump truck can carry so many rocks? Like, who did that, right? And, and finally, I'll get him to say, I'll get him to say, God did that. God, God's behind that. And so I go, why did God do that? And he's four. So he's like, can I play with my trucks now? <laughs> I just, just want to be done. But we stop for a second. He doesn't understand. He's like, I don't know. And I'm a, so but then we have a talk. Like, how amazing is God that out of nowhere he made fast stuff fast and strong stuff strong? How awesome is God that he would show himself to us in this way? So that joy you're feeling, that excitement you're feeling, when you take this truck and this truck and you crash them together, that excitement you're feeling. Or when we see construction equipment in real life, that excitement, that's, God's te- that's God teaching you. How awesome is it, Joshua, that God loves you enough to do this for you? 
How amazing is God? He's like, can we just play now? <laughs> With my daughter Kennedy, it used to be the color pink. She wanted everything to be pink. She wanted her, her whole life to be pink, okay? She just, that's the way. And so we would have a conversation when she was little. We'd, she's wearing pink today, all right? We'd have a conversation when she was little. I'd say, who made pink? And she'd go, I don't know. And I'd say, God did. God made pink. <laughs> and isn't it amazing, Kennedy, that God just out of nowhere just thought up pink? Isn't that awesome? That God created this. And that feeling when you go, oh, I love this color pink. I love this. That's God speaking to you. Isn't he awesome that he gave you that? Isn't he amazing, God? Isn't he so good? My daughter Hannah, she's two, almost two. And so it's just for her, it's just anything that she can eat, okay? It's just food. Like she's just, but specifically like Cheez-Its or uh, fish crackers, right? Goldfish. And so Goldfish crackers, you know what I'm saying. It's like crack cocaine to her, all right? So, and I'm like, Hannah, isn't it awesome that God gave you this food, this cracker to eat, man? It looks like a fish. It's amazing that God did this. Isn't that awesome? And she has no idea what I'm talking about, but I'm just planting seeds, right? I'm just planting seeds. And we try to do that with everything, Aaron and I. I mean, anything that is good, anything that is right, anything that is remarkable, God's going to get the credit for that. Even difficult times, we go, isn't God amazing that he brought us through this tough time and we had this tough day, but he's teaching us something. Isn't it awesome that he would take the time to teach us? Isn't that amazing? How awesome is God that he would do that? So our hope is that down the road, when, they're, when our kids are grown up, when you ask our kids, like, how was your house? Like, tell me about your house growing up. Whether they believe or not, whether they are Christians or not, our hope is that their answer is that God was central. That God is what he talked about. That God is who she loved. I mean, they gave God credit for everything. It was annoying. I mean, I couldn't even warm up around a fire or jump into a, a pool on a hot summer day without my mom or dad going, how amazing is God that he gave us this cool water on a hot summer day? How awesome is God that in a cold, wind, you know, snowy day, we can get around a fire and feel the warmth? How amazing is that? It was annoying. But God was central, man. God, no matter what they believe, we want them to say, God was central in my home. We want God to be central in everything. Listen, not just on Sunday mornings, not just in an organized, like when we do a Bible study type way, we do not want God to be central in certain sacred places and at certain sacred times and not other places. That's not what we want to happen at all. We want God to be central at all times. That's our goal. And that's what Deuteronomy 6 is talking about. God has created your family to work best this way, in this rhythm where he is central when you sit around at your house, when you lie down, when you rise, when you get up in the morning, when you chat on the way home from school, when you're watching movies, when you're playing catch in the backyard. In all things, at all times, he's supposed to be central. That's the rhythm. That's the rhythm. That's the only way this will work like you're hoping it, it will work. That's the only way that your hopes and dreams that you have when you're holding your baby right after they're born in the, in the hospital and you're thinking, what did I get into? And you're, you're praying and asking God for help and you have these hopes and these dreams for her or for him. That's the only way this is going to work out the way you want it to work is if God is central at all times, in all places, you work hard to make God central. That's the family rhythm. That's the way it'll work like you're hoping it'll work. That's the only way. Look back at Ephesians 6 uh, with me real quick. Ephesians 6, uh, Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul just said, you got you to gotta be intentional and purposeful about this. You're children of light, but you can't just keep randomly going on with life. You've got to actually be intentional about walking in the light. Then he gives instruction for husbands and wives, married people. We talked about that last week. Now, Ephesians 6, verse 1, he begins to give instruction for children and parents, family rhythm. He says this in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And so this is pretty foundational, right? It's kind of obvious. But in a biblical family rhythm, God is central. 
and children obey their parents. In a biblical family rhythm, God is central and children obey their parents. This is the rhythm. Children are to obey your parents. If you are a child living in your parents' house under your parents' roof right now, let me be clear. You are to obey your parents. The authority your parents have was not made up by them because they are on a power trip. That's not what happened. It is absolutely God-given. And let me explain how the biblical ideas of submission and authority happen, how how they really are, are are unpacked in the Bible really quick, just a really quick uh, crash course in it. To rebel against the authority God has placed over you. Parents, this is for you too, if you have any authority over you, spiritual authority over you. But children, to obey or to rebel against the godly authority that God has placed over you is to rebel against God. To rebel against the authority God has placed over you is to rebel against God, to trust the authority God has placed over you is to trust God. You tracking with me? That's the way it works. And listen, outside of your authority asking you to do something that's blatantly sinful, there's really no condition here. In other words, you and I are to gladly submit to the authority God has placed over us even though they are imperfect. Because a lot of us will submit to authority until they make a mistake. Then we won't. We'll submit to authority until they do something we disagree with. Then we won't submit anymore. So children, your parents are not perfect, but that has nothing to do with whether you should obey them or not. That has nothing to do with whether you should obey them. You obey them not because they are perfect, but because the God who gave them the authority over you is perfect. Let me say that again. You obey the spiritual authority placed over your children. You obey your parents, not because they are perfect, but because the God who placed them in authority over you is perfect. You trust God, not the imperfect authority placed over you. You tracking with me so far? Children. Obey your parents. They see farther than you see, know more than you know, and only want good for you. God has given them the authority over you. This is the family rhythm he set up, not for your imprisonment, but for your joy, your ultimate joy. You just have to trust him. Okay, let me say this too. This is, this is basic stuff, but a lot of parents are failing at it. Children are to obey their parents, not the other way around. Children are to obey their parents, not the other way around. Some of you have a family arrhythmia going on where your children are running your home. You get up on Sunday mornings and ask them if they want to go to church today. Who put your kids in the driver's seat of your home? It was you. You've oriented your life around them. You, they are king and queen. They say and you do. You obey them. They command and you give. And when uh, they don't get what they want for a second, they lose it. Three-year-old or 13-year-old, they lose it and you cave. And you give them whatever they want. Children obey parents, not the other way around. Not the other way around. This is the rhythm. Some of you need to set this right. And believe me, it will not be easy. But it's necessary. It's necessary. Back to Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live, a, live long in the land. Fathers, verse 4, fathers. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, kind of an aside here, but notice how when the children are addressed, they are to obey and respect their parents, right? Honor their parents, both father and mother, right? But when the parents are addressed, when instruction for parenting is given, it's addressed to whom? Fathers. Everybody say fathers. Fathers. 
It's addressed to fathers. Men, you and I are not to play the only role of authority and instruction in our homes, but we are to play the leading one. Not because we're better. It's not a right. It's a responsibility. It's not about power. It's about weight. Not because we're better. And so men, fathers, husbands, we are to lead out in this. He addresses us. He calls us out in this. We are the ones held responsible for making this happen. It absolutely, what he says next is applicable to both mothers and fathers. But fathers, we are the ones that are supposed to make this happen in our home. This is the rhythm. But look at the specific instruction. He says, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke your children to anger. Now that's kind of weird, right? Like, why would he put that in there? Like, he, has, he just talks for like three verses about this, and he, he's got all this he could pull about parenting and godly parenting and family rhythm, and he says, fathers, don't provoke your kids to anger. Don't poke them with a stick, right? Like, don't do that. So in a biblical family rhythm, God is central. Children obey parents. And what I think this is saying is, in a biblical family rhythm, parents avoid avoidable anger. You avoid avoidable anger because this is not saying that you should keep from making your kids mad. That's not going to work if you're going to be a parent, all right? This is not taking authority away from you. So children, like if my kids ever were like, you don't provoke me to anger, don't provoke, you have not been provoked yet, right? Just give it some time. What's on? Now you've been provoked, all right? Like, if they ever quote Ephesians 6 to me, it's going to go bad for them, okay? So that is not what this, this is not taking authority away from you. This is not saying you can't make your kids angry. That's not the way it works. But what happens when sinful, imperfect people like you and me are given authority over other human beings is that we tend to take our insecurities and our messed up sinful nature and our our fears into that whole thing, right? And we tend to cause problems with that. And so then when we're challenged or questioned by those that we're trying to lovingly lead, we can respond from imperfection and in anger and it can go it can go bad. You can't avoid all anger. Even super parent. Like, if you're a super parent and you have the matching capes to prove it, like, you can't, there will be times, collisions, run-ins, arguments, where you will get your kids angry. You will make them angry at you and you will be in the right. Okay? You hearing what I'm saying? Don't hear what I'm not saying. You will, at times, make your kids angry and you will be in the right. But avoid avoidable anger. Some parents have gotten into the habit of responding to the questioning and the smart mouth kid who's just being a regular kid with like Geneva Convention, like Guantanamo Bay level stuff. Like if you disrespect me, you will die. All right, that's the answer. Like if I get disrespected, somebody's going to lose their life, okay? And we kind of respond, exact, we have this exaggerated response to it. Don't provoke your kids to more anger. It just escalates. They disrespect you and yell, and you yell. You respond by doing the same thing, and then it just gets out of hand. And pretty soon, somebody's quoting Cosby, I brought you into this world, I can take you out of it. Right? And you go, well, they started it, Pastor. Okay, but they're a kid. You're the adult. You don't get to be the kid, but they do. You're the adult. You have to be the adult. They get to act like a kid. You don't. And if we had time in here, I guarantee you there are some grown men and some grown women in here who had fathers and mothers who would provoke them and provoke them and provoke them to anger. And even now, on darker days, your anger owns you. Even now, you don't know why, but you're just angry. It's because your father or mother provoked you to anger so much. We don't want that for our kids, do we? We don't want that for them. So we don't provoke this in our children. So here's just some crazy advice. Maybe you don't scream at your kids. I'm just throwing it out there. Maybe you don't scream at your kids. Well, that's the only way they hear. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think the higher the volume, the less chance of anything being heard. That's, that's really what I think. 
I think when things get out of control and there's a blow up, more parents need to be going to kids' bedrooms after bedtime going, I didn't handle that right. Now, what you did is inexcusable, and and you need to be punished for that. But, man, I reacted, and I yelled, and I shouldn't have done that. Will you forgive me? I love you. Will you forgive me? More parents need to do that. Some of you are like, you cannot show weakness in front of them. (laughs) No, you're going to get somebody killed, pastor. (laughs) But I think you can teach more on that show of weakness and humility than you ever could with volume. I I really think that's true. So maybe you don't scream, and maybe, maybe you don't use those daggers. Like, you know your kids better than anyone else on planet Earth. You know what will hurt them. You know what to say to get them to be quiet because they're so hurt, they can't come up with the words to say. You know what to say. And when you're hurt and you're angry and something is said to you, and God forbid you're disrespected and you're responding with this, like, somebody's got to die moment, then sometimes you could treat your kids like the enemy. When they're not the enemy, they're just kids. We have to be careful that we don't turn our quick wit towards our kids. Sometimes we use those daggers with our spouses, and that's bad enough. But we can't do that with our kids. So don't provoke them to anger. Avoid avoidable anger. Be the parent, not the kid. Let me end today by talking to you about two more things. And I'm not really ending right now. It's just something they taught me to say in seminary. Um, it's just as we close, in closing, in conclusion, it means nothing, okay? And so we are going to hang out a little bit longer. I know we're running out of time or out of time, but we're still going to do this. You guys good with that? We're going to keep going for a moment? Okay, good. Uh, t- one person is good with it. I'm going for it. I just needed one yes is all I needed. So uh, actually, I've got the face mic. I'll do what I want. You can't tell me what to do, all right? So... Um, let me just say two more things that I want you to think about as it relates to family rhythm. First of all, I heard a guy say once, uh, it stuck with me, that kids are born with this unbelievable hypocrisy radar. Like they can pick out hypocrisy like nobody's business, nobody else. Here's what I mean. My four-year-old is already like, uh, why do you get three Oreos and I only get two? Because you said that Oreos, too many Oreos would make you sick, but you've had one, two, three, seven... And I just got two, and I'm just saying, like, why do, why do you get two, and I only, why do you get five, and I only get two, right? My, my four-year-old's already doing that. What do you say? You're just like, here's some more Oreos, <laughs> Like, I don't know. Here's some more Oreos, right? Pick up your room. Well, I was just in your room. <laughs> Who's picking that thing up? Because there's clothes everywhere in there. Why do I have to go to bed, and you don't? Well, you need your rest. Well, don't you need rest? No. Yes. I don't know. Just go to bed. Just go to bed. They have this hypocrisy radar. Like you said that rated R movies are bad, but isn't that movie you're about to watch when I go to bed a rated R movie? So uh, what's up with that? They're born with it. That one you guys didn't laugh at. (laughs) Notice that. I noticed that. You're not getting away with anything, and so follow me here. If that's true for Oreos and bedtimes and movies, what else is it true for? What other inconsistencies are our kids picking up on? Because some of you are coming to church to check it off of a list, and then going home the same, not you know, living a different life from the life you live at church. Some of you are at church because you want your kids to be around good kids and you want your neighbors and your business clients and your friends to think you're good people. And I think that could have a devastating effect on your ability to live by this family rhythm we're talking about. I mean, do you seriously think that your kid doesn't see the disjoint between what they're learning here and the way you're living your life? Because you're like, go to church. We have to go to church. And your kid's like, all right. And they show up here where we're teaching day in and day out that Christ is central, that God is central, that there's no greater joy in your life than the joy of following Christ and giving him everything. And we show our love for Christ by obeying his commands. And you are, with every angle of your life, living opposite of that. Do you not think that your kids notice What you do is you make liars out of both of us, right? You make liars out of both of us. Here's what I'm saying. You can't expect your kids to live for God until you do it. You can't expect to live, for your kids to live 
for God until you do first. You can put the Ten Commandments up in your house. You can wear the Christian t-shirts and have the Christian bumper stickers. You can know the moral things to say, but you can't, it will mean nothing until you submit to God yourself. It won't matter until you've actually given your life over to Jesus. Here's the second thing. I think you need to savor your role as parent. I think you need to savor your role as parent. Here's what I mean by that. I have a nine-year-old daughter, four-year-old son, almost two-year-old daughter. On my way home from work, specifically long days where you guys are just super annoying, usually happens on, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. Mondays, I don't know. But when, when I've had a long day dealing with tragedy or whatever, planning, it's just, I'm just tired, I'm on my way home, I can't, if I'm not careful, I can have this thing in my mind where I'm thinking, when I get home, man, I'm going to sit on the couch, I'm going to watch the game, and I'm going to enjoy like a nice, cold, frothy Coca-Cola, a Pepsi. And I'm going to enjoy this Pepsi, and I'm just going to watch the game. And if I'm not careful, that is my expectation, right? And then I'm going to walk into my door, and my two-year-old is going to run up, and she's going to want me to read her a thousand books, or just one book. Beep, beep, goes the blue truck a thousand times, okay? If you haven't read Beep, Beep, Goes the Blue Truck, you are missing out on this, all right? It's an amazing book. And as soon as my son sees me, he's going to run full speed at me and want to wrestle and play and play with cars and trucks. And he's probably going to jump, tackle, people's elbow me in the side. And he's going to try to get me. He's going to try to pick a fight, right? First thing, he's like, let's do this, all right? You're home. I'm the king, all right? And so we, go, we do that. And then my, my nine-year-old is going to yell, daddy. And she's going to run to me because I've trained her, okay? When I walk in the door, she goes, daddy. And she runs to me and she gives me a hug and she's going to want me to cuddle with her and she's going to want to tell me her day about her day and story after story after story for seven hours straight. She's going to want to do that. And Aaron's going to want me to free her from the closet that the children have imprisoned her in. And I've had my mind to go sit on the couch and watch a game and enjoy a Pepsi, right? And we'll miss it all together. I'll miss it all together if I'm not careful. And so already we're out of rhythm. I'm out of rhythm. I'm out of step because my expectations are off. And so on the way home, I've got to convince myself. I've got to think. I've got to go. i got two to three more hours. i got two to three more hours to love, to lead, to be there for my family. This is the family rhythm. This is the most important thing that I'll ever do. This way far outweighs me as a pastor, me as a, my job, my money making. This is everything. I come home, I've got two to three more hours to love and lead and guide. And in fact, it's the most important thing I'll do today. If we haven't made that shift, we won't show up for the most important job we will ever have in our whole life. We won't show up. We'll miss it. And then 20 years later, we will regret it like we've never regretted anything in our whole lives. And so on my way home, I try to, I try to alter my expe- expectations a bit. So I'm thinking, when I get home, the kids are going to be in pajamas, running around crazy, powdered sugar on their face like crack cocaine. They're just going to be running around. Aaron will be tied to a chair in the pantry, and the house will be on fire. Those are my expectations. And so when I open the door, I'm like, the house isn't on fire. And then I free Aaron, and then we go and play. For an hour and a half, two hours, we play. We're there with the kids. You have to savor your role. You have to think, thank you, God. You gave me children to love and guide and lead and pour into for such a short amount of time. I mean, honestly, who literally gets to be a hero? Daddies do. Daddies get to be the heroes of boys and girls. What a great gift. Who gets to be the source of comfort when things go wrong? Mommies do. Who gets to be unconditionally loved by little baby girls? Daddies do. Who gets the admiration of little men and women who say, I want to be that when I grow up. I want to be like you when I grow up. Daddies and mommies do. You should savor that. It's part of this family rhythm. You should savor it. 
You start from this point. You savor it. It's a blessing. You don't let a day escape. Ups and downs, though, right? Someday it's easy to savor the roll. The next day it's hard to find any joy in it at all. Things are said and it hurts. Decisions are made and it hurts. You don't feel like you're doing a good enough job. You're not even sure they love you, they want you. Things are so off, out of sync, out of rhythm. Ups and downs, but listen, beloved. If you're in one of those downs right now, hear this. Your entire life, you will do nothing of more importance than to mold the little souls God has given you to mold. And it's unbelievably difficult. But God never calls us to anything he's unwilling to equip us for. Let me say that again. God never calls us to anything he is unwilling to equip us for. He has called you to this, and he will give you all the grace you need to do it right for his glory and for your family's joy. So parents and grandparents, no matter if your kids are 3, 13, or 33, God has given you the task of helping to mold their souls into what he has planned for them. It's a big task, isn't it? Impossible, really. That's why you have to be totally surrendered to Christ, yourself, to pull it off. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that cuts into our hearts, convicts and challenges and encourages. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that I pray for those parents in this room, God, that, and grandparents and anyone who would have any, any impact on a kid's life. Lord, I pray that we would take that seriously. And I pray to, that you would encourage those who are in a down right now, in a valley right now, that you would encourage them by letting that truth stick with them, that you have equipped them to do everything you've asked them to do. We love you, Lord. We give this all to you because we as parents have no, there's no way we can pull it off. We need your help, Holy Spirit. We need your help. Help us, God. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. Here's my prayer for you. May this series on rhythm be a catalyst that sends you on a lifelong quest to line yourself up with God's given, God's rhythm for your life in every area of your life. Children, may you trust and obey your parents because of the God who gave them to you. And parents, may you stop long enough, be quiet enough, still enough, and humble enough to feel how your family is out of rhythm with the way God created it to work best. And then may you reach out for the Holy Spirit to help you correct that. Make sure you get to a life group this week to talk this over. Bring people with you next week for Christmas Eve service. And like always, just like you were helped today to take your next step towards God, don't let it stop with you. Leave here and help someone else take their next step towards God. Talk to them about family rhythm. Spread this. Be a conduit through which Christ works to reach other people. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples Jesus followers. We'll see you next week. God bless you, and you are dismissed. Go get your kids.